0: Listen, it's good to be with you this morning. I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 1 Samuel, chapter 24. We're going to be there in just a little bit, but uh, again, to reiterate what has already been said this morning in reference to this afternoon, we will be gathering uh, at schools all across Lake and Sumter County. Every one of our schools that we know of, private and public, have been covered this afternoon. There's a coordinator, they're area coordinators and there is uh, over 80 churches that have been involved in the coordination of this, this project across Lake and Sumter County, moving into Citrus as well as Hillsborough counties. Uh, Brian said it earlier. Listen, we'd love for you to join us. Uh, maybe you're listening to my voice today and, uh, and you have a student that attends one of those campuses. You choose and you go. Maybe you're listening to our voice and you're not a, you don't have a student at one of those campuses, but maybe you have a campus close to you we would encourage you to go as well. And maybe you're listening to our voice and you're in another part of the state or maybe you're in another part of our nation or even someplace around the world. We encourage you to go to schools, to your school and to spend some time in prayer. It's not too late to uh, to call a, f- a couple of people and say, listen, will you join us? You can get information on the uh, website at schoolprayer.info, but we would love to have you join us this afternoon. Um, Allison does such a great a great job. I feel like I don't even have to do anything. I can just go sit down. But parents, it is a blessing to have her speaking directly to you, not only you, but your children specifically. And during this time that we've been separated from each other from the church house, it's important. And she's done such a great job at uh, trying to connect to you as a, as a parent, as well as your children. Uh, but Allison, we're very, very thankful for that. I also want to remind you, listen, while I'm at it, uh, Labor Day weekend, we will be at the Omni. If you've not made reservations, I believe that they'll allow you as long as there are spaces that are available. Uh, we went down this past week to look at some, some of the things that we're going to be doing. We'll be holding our services live from there that, uh, that, that morning. And so even though we aren't gathered here in this building, we will be gathering in a large open area that the Omni is providing for us to be able to have services that morning. So I hope that you can join us. There are special prices that they've allowed us to participate in uh, at Champions Gate. So you go on, you can find some information on the web. Listen, um, we went out of Galatians into a series called, Hey Siri, there's some there's some questions that Siri just can't answer, but there's some questions that we have to answer. And so over the past couple of weeks, we've been diving into some some of this, this process of what are some questions that we need to ask ourselves when we're in the process of making decisions. Because this is what we know, that regardless of your age, your stage in life, every one of us are going to have to make choices. We're going to have to make some decisions, and the scenarios and the questions that we encounter are endless. Um, but listen, you got, you got to make a choice. And we started out by, with our first question, by asking, asking uh, that little thought, um, am I being truthful? We went back and we looked at what the book of Jeremiah chapter 17, 9 had to say because it is really easy because the heart is deceitful of all things is what the Bible has to say. And it it's really easy to make some crazy choices, some unwise choices, sometimes some stupid choices because we listen to our feelings or we listen to somebody else and we don't listen to the Lord. We need to understand and be able to ask that question continually when we're in the process of making choices. Am I being truthful? Is there something else that needs, that needs to be talked about? Then last week we asked the question, what kind of story do I want to one day tell? <laughs> and, and because this is what I know, there are some stories in my life in the past that I'm not really interested about other people knowing about. Well, what would it be like if we were to recognize that every day we're writing stories in the pages of a book that will one day be read? One day we'll have the privilege to sit down and talk to kids or grandkids about those parts and pieces of our life and, and not have to really worry about leaving some things out. And so we're in the process of making a choice or decision. What would it be like to be able to ask that question? What kind of story do I want to one day tell you? know, I've, I've asked several people that this past week as they've have been contemplating things in their life. Husband and wife looking at divorce. What kind of story do you want to one day tell? You know, kids, in reference to certain things they're experiencing, what kind of story do you want to one day tell? Well, today we're going to ask another question. And that question is, is there a stress that needs to be addressed? Is there a a tension that needs to surface? Because this is what I know inside of the decisions that we make, the choices that we have to make. Sometimes there's something going on behind the scenes that has moral and ethical implications. You've probably been there. You're at the place of having to make a decision and all of a sudden there's that voice, you better check yourself. (laughs) You better check yourself. You're in the checkout line and you notice that the, that the amount that they charged you wasn't really what you were expecting because they maybe left some items off. So what do you do? Or you're at the place of filling out your tax return and you're going through and what do you do? I remember a time when Meredith and I had, uh, we, we hadn't been married very long. And and back in those days, you had to make a deposit at the bank. Some of you kids don't even have a clue what that is. You used to have to fill out this form, and you'd have to write some things on it, and you'd have to take it to the bank teller. And this was even before drive-ins, but this was a drive-in that we happened to go through. And and you had to give it, and somebody would make it. There was none of this stuff online. Uh, I think computers were just coming out. There was no such thing as the World Wide Web back in those days, I don't believe. I hadn't experienced it. But I remember going through the drive-through and I was making a deposit. Meredith and I were in a rush and we were on our way someplace. And um, I made a deposit and I was getting just a little bit of cash back. So I reached up and I grabbed the envelope that she had given us back. It was supposedly some cash. And I thought to myself, she must have just given us a bunch of ones. So I laid it over on the side and we're off and we're going, we're in a hurry. And then Meredith opened it up and I heard this, And it wasn't ones, but it was $20 bills. Meredith said, we gotta take it back. And I said, baby, we ain't got time. We gotta take it back, but we don't have time. We gotta take it back. We took it back. (laughs) We went back through the drive through and I go, look, I'm in a hurry, but I think you made a mistake. And the lady says, we don't make mistakes. (laughs) I thought, great, I'll leave. (laughs) Meredith said, no. (laughs) So I said, look, I promise you, you made a mistake. No, we didn't make a mistake. And it happened to, I happened to know the, the, the person that was in charge and I, I thought, huh, this is gonna take more time. So I had to go around and I had to park and I took it in and she said, yes, Sid, we made a mistake. And I was thinking, I was hoping you didn't make a mistake, but yeah. But what do you do in those times when there's that little bit of attention, that stress? How do you respond? And what we're going to see today in the midst of the story is that just because something feels good and just because something might benefit us doesn't necessarily mean that it's right. This is what I know that it's in those moments when that tension arises that it's really easy to maybe just set aside wisdom and turn and look the other way. So what do you do when there's a, when a stress is involved, how do you respond I mean, what we're going to see today, it's really important, it's beneficial to stop for a moment, to pause before you make that final choice and ask yourself, is there attention that needs attention? Is there a stress that needs to be addressed? Is there something that needs to come to the surface that you need to maybe talk about and, and think through? We're going to go back through the Old Testament in the book of 1 Samuel. And we're going to look at a story today and about a man by the name of David that sort of helps us illustrate what we're talking about here and and it very clearly helps us illustrate. Maybe you've heard this story. If not, it's going to be, for some of you, it'll be just a reminder or a refresher. For others, you, you you may hear this story for the first time and go, oh my goodness gracious. But you're going to hear the story about a really two characters, a man by the name of Saul, but the one we're really going to center in is a man by the name of of David. And, And when we look at David and we see what's going to happen in the midst of the decisions that he was going to be faced to make, in his own eyes, he would have been justified. matter of fact, even in the eyes of other people, David would have been justified to do that which was wrong. And everybody would have agreed with him, but he stopped and he paused And he addressed that tension that he was facing. And so I want you to look again at 1 Samuel 24, and I'm going to be reading this morning as I walk through this out of of the New Living Translation. But to bring you sort of a little bit up to date, King Saul was king. He had been appointed, anointed as king. But God's getting ready to remove Saul because he had been disobedient. And God had called on the prophet Samuel to go and to anoint a new king. And he said, I want you to go to Bethlehem, and I want you to find this guy by the name of Jesse. And Jesse's got some sons, and it's there you're going to find the next king, and I want you to anoint him. And on the way, the Lord stops, and he says, listen, Samuel, I want you to understand this. I don't want you to pick a guy based on what you think is right. I don't want you to look at him from a a human perspective. Because I want you to understand that just because it looks good doesn't necessarily mean that it's good because looks can be dece- deceiving. I, I, was, I was thinking about, you know, as I was thinking through this, I thought about the time that I picked this guy to be on my softball team. It was terrible. I mean, this guy had big muscles. And I mean, I'm thinking, man, this guy looks like an athlete. I mean, he was, he was the farthest thing from an athlete. I mean, he couldn't catch the ball. He couldn't throw the ball. And of all things, he couldn't hit the ball. And I don't even understand that. I mean, he looked, but looks can be deceiving. But I had chosen him to be on my team because it looked good. And God says, look, Samuel, be careful. Because just because it looks good doesn't necessarily mean that it is good. I mean, how many times do we choose people based on looks or perceived talent but God said look I want you to look at the heart and so Jesse so Samuel gets there he finds Jesse he brings his sons together and he begins to this process of looking through man which one will it be and he doesn't find one and so Samuel says man don't you have another don't you have another son and he says well I do but he's young and he's out and he's he's with the sheep and go get him Well, guess what? It's exactly the one that God had chosen. And there it was that Samuel anointed him and he chose him. And after he did that, he picked up all of his stuff and he he left. and, And David went back to tending his sheep. Because David's anointing, it wasn't something that was public. But what it was, it was an event that signified that God had set him apart. He would eventually lead the nation of Israel. Well, after a series of events, if you know anything about the story, one thing led to another, and David catches the attention of Saul's eyes, and the Bible says that, man, he loved him. Man, he looked at this guy, and he thought, wow. He brought him into leadership, and he put him up as an armor bearer, and then all of a sudden, there came that day that the nation of Israel, and Saul and his army was challenged by this, this big guy by the name of Goliath, this Philistine who not only challenged them, but also challenged God. And nobody wanted anything to do with him. As a matter of fact, they wanted to run the opposite way. They were terrified of this man because of his size and because of his meanness and the way he looked, his appearance. But David said, what's going on guys? Why are you so afraid of this guy? Man, I fought lions and bears and tigers and I've killed him with my bare hands, and I'm gonna take this guy on too. And that's exactly what he did. He didn't. He didn't kill this this man, this Goliath, that had been threatening everybody. He didn't. He didn't kill him with a sword or a spear, but a rock and a sling. And after that, I mean, all of a sudden, this young boy, this young shepherd boy, went from this being really a nobody to he became somebody in the public eye. And Saul is killed. Thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. It was almost like a WWF wrestler. Man, he was just known to everybody. But as his popularity rose, guess what happened to Saul's heart? Jealous. Jealousy, bitterness, and anger. Even to the point that the guy that Saul loved eventually now, he wanted, he wanted dead. Saul knew. He knew. And after several attempts at trying to take David's life, we find ourselves where we are here in 1 Samuel chapter 24. Would you read a little bit with me this morning? In the New Living Translation, and this is what Samuel records, after Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he told that David had gone into the wilderness of En and so Saul chose, listen, 3,000 elite Troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rock of the wild goats. Now, look, I, I don't know how many men that David with him. I mean, there's some passages that talk about 400. Then he, there was another that he talked about 600 as he's going through. But Saul chooses 3,000 elite soldiers to go out and pursue David for the purpose of killing him. Well, they end up at this place called En Gedi. I don't know if you know anything about en Gedi, but it was like a oasis in the middle of the wilderness. It meant spring of goats. Um, when our family was out in out west, we had the privilege of passing through what was what's what's known as as, as Death Valley. It's it's dead in Death Valley. It's rocks. It's dry. It's hot. As a matter of fact. I, I took a picture of the sign at like 1030 in the morning. It was like a, 113 degrees. You want to talk about stifling? I mean, there's no humidity. I got to laughing at my son. He wanted to go at one point. He wanted to go, he wanted to, go to, to the white spots where all the, all the salt was at. And I said, buddy, that's a lot further than what you think it is. Oh, no, it's not. No, it's not. So off he goes. And I sat on the side there of the road, and there's nobody. I mean, there's nobody anywhere near us. I mean, if, we, if we'd have broke down, we'd have been in trouble. But off he goes, and about 10 minutes later, he comes back. That was a lot further than what you said it was. I thought it was. (laughs) Glass of water. And... uh... But anyway, here we find ourselves in the middle of this desert, this barren land, exactly what it would have been like here when I look at and I think about the topography because here it is close to the Dead Sea and everything that was in that area would have been really salty. There were springs, but most of the springs would have been saltwater springs except for this place in En Gedi where there was fresh water. I do if you've ever been thirsty, really thirsty and all of a sudden there was a, drink of water man it's just so refreshing and that's where this cave was at that, that, that David would have been at and that's where Saul is at and look at what he goes on to say here in verse 3 it says "At the place where the road passes some sheep folds, it was a place where they kept sheep it would have been close to this place because they could have fed they could have watered they could have taken care of the sheep and so they would have had some barriers where they would have kept sheep it said Saul went into this cave to relieve himself do I need to explain that I don't think so He went to the bathroom. He had to go to the bathroom. But here it is, and it's happening. And David and his men were in hiding farther and back in the very cave. So Saul has got these 3,000 guys, and he says, hold up. And it's hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. King's got to go to the bathroom. So off he goes into the cave, and he disappears. But this just so happens, just so happens. I mean, do you guys think that God is involved in everything, that he's in control? I mean, how in the world... The same cave. That's where David is, hiding with his, his other guys. Hmm. This wasn't the first time that David had found himself in the cave hiding from Saul, though. This was an ongoing process. Now, as far as I know, this would have been the perfect time for David to have taken advantage and to kill Saul while hiding in the dark and hear Saul going to the bathroom. And from David's vantage point, it's a done deal. I mean, just think about it. Somebody's pursuing you. They're going to kill you. Here's David hiding. He sees them come in. What does he do? It looked like God had brought Saul to David so that he could kill him. At least that's what David's men thought because that's what the Scripture says. Look at what it says in verse 4. Now here is your opportunity. David's men whispered to him in the dark. Today, the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. I can imagine these guys sitting around the fire at night and talking about well, how they're going to take how they're going to take Saul out. What are they going to do when they when they have this meeting? And all of a sudden here it is. It's time. Here it is. They have that opportunity. What are they going to do? I mean, because as soon as he would then he would be king and then he would be in that leadership position. There's only one way for a new king to take power, right? And that's for the old king to be done away with. And it almost looks as if God has brought all this to pass. And then in verse 4, I was look at what it says. It said, so David crept forward. Now, this is very, very interesting because in the ESV, it says he arose. In the NIV, it says he crept up. But the implication here is that in the process of this, David made a clear decision. So you can imagine, here it is, he's he's in the position, he sees, and the guys are going, hey, this is your chance, this is your opportunity. And so David begins to make his way, and as he made his way along, what am I doing? What am I doing? As he's crawling along, he's had to contemplate in his mind, what kind of choice am I going to make and it's like at the last moment he said I can't do this it's not right there was that voice the spirit of God that said no and instead it said he cut off a a a piece of the hem of Saul's robe and so here's David instead of killing Saul he cuts off a piece of the robe what in the world is all that about. I mean, here's David's guys going, what? You've got to be kidding me. I mean, here's David's chance, not just to kill the king, but to take advantage of the opportunity to kill the guy that was pursuing him. But instead of killing him, he cuts off a piece of the robe. David's getting ready to knock him off. But he didn't do it. Should I? Shouldn't I? What's right? And the whole time Saul had no clue what was hiding in the dark. <laughs> um, I mean, let's just be honest here. Truthfully, it looks as if David, a God had answered David's prayer. Look over with me just for a second to the book of Psalms. Look over there. Turn to the book of Psalms in Psalms chapter 54. And I want to read to you something that that David prayed right prior to this. This is pretty interesting. Look at what David prayed right prior to this in Psalms 54. He said there in verse 1 through verse 5, Come with great power, O God, and rescue me. Defend me with your might. Listen to my prayer, O God. Pay attention to my plea. For strangers are attacking me. Violent people are trying to kill me. They care nothing for God. But God, God is my helper. And the Lord is the one who keeps me alive. And look, he says in verse 5, May the evil plans of my enemies be turned against them. Do as you promised and put an end to them. What does it look like? What is the perception? (laughs) Look at what God has done. Look look at what God has provided for us. Here's David. He's got this battle going on in his heart and his mind, and maybe you've experienced that before. I mean, here's David with an opportunity to take matters into his own hands, and yet he still has to make a choice. I mean, if it's me, I'm saying, y'all better call the funeral home. I mean, this joker's out of here. I mean, I just have to be honest. I mean, but here's David, the stress was so great. It was so great that he chose not to ignore the still voice in his ear. But as he crawled, he said, no, no. I can't, I can't replace what God has put in place. I can't do it. And somewhere between the whispers of the soldiers and 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 David's movement and thoughts of killing the king, listen, and having to deal with anger and bitterness and fear and him cutting off the corner of the king's garment. David said, I can't do it. Mm -mm. I mean, even though it felt good, even though it looked right, even though it would have been deemed uh, acceptable and encouraged by those closest to him, David knew it wasn't right. And in the midst of the tension, David chose to listen. You know what he did? He chose to trust God's plan instead of his plan. He chose to trust God's timing instead of his timing. He chose to bypass and set aside his own fear and trust God. He chose to ignore the emotion of the moment. You know, I, I don't know how many times I, I've heard Meredith say, "We can never make a, a, a big decision in the in the in the in the heat of a moment, because it's so easy sometimes to make unwise choices." I mean, how many times people quit jobs because they got mad or upset and they get, they turned in their keys to only go? Well, that was stupid. I mean, how many times in the heat of a moment have we said things or things come out of our mouth that we knew that shouldn't have come out of our mouth, but we said it because it was how we felt and we ended up leaving a tremendous amount of damage and behind us. Maybe you've had a time when you knew that something wasn't right and uh, you weren't the only person that felt that way. You knew it wasn't right, but you went along with the crowd and you did it anyway, you ignored what you knew to be true. But David didn't ignore the truth. But he decided not to take things into his own hands. And but instead of killing Saul, what he did is he cut off of him of the garment, and to which we would say, Well, really, that's, that's not that big a deal, you know. But look at what it says in verse 5. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. Um It's not that big a deal. Here's another tension. Here's another stress, because see what David did is he disrespected the king. He knew it. So goes on to say in verse six, "The Lord knows I shouldn't have done that to my lord, the king." He said it to his men. In other words, I I, I know, guys, I I, I know, I know, and I know what it looks like. But I just, you need to know that what what was done was wrong. I mean, I think if I'm one of his soldiers, I'm thinking about, man, we got to get out of here. This guy's going to get us killed. I want to give you a side thought for a second. And you listen to what I'm telling you because I promise you this will come back. And I'm going to read read my little note here because I had written it out and I don't want to to bypass what I feel like this needs to be said. But you listen to what I'm telling you and you listen intently because there's something inside of this that is so important because God is the one that ordains authority. And there's a whole bunch of junk going on on social media these days about bypassing authority. Listen, you're walking out from underneath God's provision and his attention when you do that. When you don't obey the authority that God has put in place, you better watch yourself. Because that tells me a lot about your heart. Your heart. But I want to give you this little piece of information. Regardless of the work environment that you may find yourself, when you undermine leadership, you set a precedence for others down the line to undermine eventually you. Did you hear what I said? Listen, when you you undermine leadership that is above you, what you end up doing is you set a precedence for others down the line to undermine you. It's sort of that phrase, what goes around comes around. The seeds that you sow will come to harvest someday. I want you to think about that. And David goes on to say, the Lord, in verse 6, continued, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king, and attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. David knew. Man, he knew. And you're thinking and you're listening to this story and you're like going, man, I just can't. But David knew. Regardless of what we feel or the emotions of the moment, David knew. David knew. He knew. And in verse 7, it says, So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. I mean, these guys are they're primed and ready to go. Look, you didn't do it, but man, I'll do it. I'll take care of it. And in verse 7, it says, After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him. And I don't know how far, or how, you know, how far out that Saul and his men would have been, but here's David coming out of the darkness of the cave and when he comes out in the midst of the army of Saul being there David holler's out and the Bible says and records that David bowed down before Saul in a sign of submission and humility and he cried out to the king by the way in front of everyone in front of everyone And he said that day, you are God's anointed. Let me tell you something. Man, there's a smell of Jesus all over this, isn't there? Even though it didn't look right, even though it didn't feel like, that's what happens. Man, when, when, when we act and we respond as God would have us to respond, other eyes are always watching. And David goes on to say, may the Lord judge between us. Saul, I know that you're upset. I know that you're angry, but I'm going to continue to trust God. As a matter of fact, I was going to kill you, but I thought about it. And I thought about what God might have to say and what God would have me to, to do. And I chose to obey God and leave the consequences up to him. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to address that emotion, that feeling that I'm having, that stress that's causing me, strain. God, I'm going to trust you. And he goes on to say, in the remainder of verse 12, "May the Lord judge between us, perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you're trying to do, you, but I will never harm you. I, I'm going to listen, even though it's popular. Even though it seems right, even though it feels right, I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen to that voice. I'm not going to do what I feel like I want to do and what everybody else is encouraging me to do. But I'm going to listen. I'm not going to take things into my own hands. Even though you're not treating me right, listen, listen. I'm not going to retaliate. I'm going to honor God. God. And I'm going to honor the position, and in turn, I'm going to honor the Lord. Instead of acting on my instincts and my feelings, I'm going to wait on you, God. Skip down to verse 15. He says, may the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate, and he will rescue me from your power. God is my advocate. He's my spokesperson. He will speak on my behalf. And let me say this right here, man. God takes full responsibility for the person that is willing to trust him, that is fully devoted to him. See, my responsibility is to obey the Lord, to obey him in everything, to look to him for guidance and instruction, to seek to discern his will, in my life, and to carry out those actions and leave the consequences and the outcomes up to Him. But there are those times, there are those times in life that I, I, um, I wrestle, there are those times in my life that I, I struggle. Those times that I feel like I have to defend myself or I have to defend my position or I have to defend my reputation or I have to defend my family's reputation. And David's saying, look, I don't don't need to defend myself. I don't need to defend my reputation. I don't need to defend my family. But God will speak on my behalf and he will represent me. That's hard. I mean, because I'm going to tell you what, when you feel challenged and there's something within you that jumps up, we always feel like we got to go we got to defend ourselves. We got to get on social media and tell everybody just how we feel. No. I remember a conversation this guy was being accused a couple of years ago and I was in a restaurant and man he got him so upset. He was a pastor. And uh, something had happened. His name had been blasted all over the all over the papers, and I felt so bad at, bad for him because some guys that I know they were picking at him and playing at him and just poking fun. Oh yeah, some good pastor you are, and they're just going on. And just, he goes, "Sit, I got to say something. I got to call the paper." I said, "Just leave it alone, leave it alone, leave it alone." <laughs> but I got I said, "Just leave it alone." Who's your advocate? Who's your advocate? God speaks on your behalf. He speaks on your behalf. Don't make it worse. And David is saying, listen, I don't need to defend myself. I don't need to speak on my behalf, but God will represent me. And by the time that David finishes this process, Saul knew. I mean, he He knew what David was saying was true and Saul that his time, he knew that his time was limited and David would eventually be the king. And there's so much more that we could talk about here, but I'm not going to do that today. But in verse 16, it went on to say that Saul began to weep. And you know why? Just like I said earlier, because there was something that reminded him of the fragrance of our Heavenly Father. He knew. See, Saul knew. Write this down, put it on your mirror. Do something with this, but listen to what, this, what I say here. David's actions weren't of a man trying to position himself to be king. See, what David was doing, he wasn't trying to negotiate to position himself to be king, but he positioned himself in such a way that he was a man that was listening for his father's voice. I mean, think about some of the decisions we make, and we're trying to position ourselves to get something. We're trying to position our, ourselves to be in a, in, a, in a better place, to be in a, a higher uh, position of authority or to... Mm, that. No, that's not what David was trying to do. But he positioned himself in such a way, and he was known as a man that was trying to listen for his father's voice. in the choices that you're facing right now, those of you that are listening, what are you positioning yourself for? What are you trying to do? Are you being truthful? What kind of story do you want to one day tell? Is there stress that needs to be addressed? Has it come to the surface yet? And we finish out 1 Samuel, finding out that Saul himself, as king, is wounded. And in the midst of being wounded, we find out that he took his own life because he was afraid that the Philistines were going to torture him. David had his opportunity to take Saul's life, but instead he chose to wait and trust God, to listen to that voice, to pay attention to that red flag, to be careful of that feeling that emotion and he chose to address the stress even though he knew that it wasn't what was most popular. It wasn't the easiest and he took a breath in the midst of that crawl and he said, God, I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna trust you. You know, the question is this, in this journey called life we're going to face a lot of those situations and it may not be as similar to david but the scenario will be somewhat similar i mean we're going to face those choices and situations and when we face those those tensions when that begins to surface the question is going to be what am i going to do we might think we're in control but in reality, it's God's the one who writes the ending of the story. Are you willing to trust him? So as, you, as you're listening, and 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 that red flag begins to go off, and man, you begin to, to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking, are you going to be willing enough just to pause? To pause. And to consider what the Holy Spirit might have you to do. Because maybe the stress is the Holy, Holy Spirit trying to get your attention. You know, even for some of you today, see that tension that you're facing is the fact that maybe you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. And the tension right now for you is you're just, you're not willing to, to hum- humble yourself to submit yourself and to place your faith in Christ? What is it that keeps you from making the most important decision of all? For believers, are you going to be willing to stop and pause? For those of you that are listening to my voice today, is that tension today that are you willing to trust me? even today you can make that decision right there where you are Jesus I give it to you I recognize that I recognize my sin and my position as a sinner and I recognize that it's my sin that separates me from a holy God but I know what the Bible says that Jesus that God's only son was sent and he would bear the scars and and be beaten for me so that I might have life, that Jesus became the Lamb of God who would be sacrificed, not just for the world, but for me. And if you've not made that decision, even today, you can make that decision. I'd love for you to, right there where you are, man, if that's you, just just to pray and ask the Lord to forgive you and say, Jesus, I want to trust you. Let us know, just text us. Let us know by texting that that word decision. Say, man, decision. Text us to that that text line at 352-358-7770. Would you pray with me as we close out our time? Father, this is what I know, and um, this is a whole lot easier to talk about than it is to apply. But help us to do a better job at listening to you and your voice, choosing to, to opt ahead in the direction that re- best represents your heart, not my heart. Your will instead of my will. And for those of us that are listening to my voice today that are facing decisions and they're, they're, they're talking themselves out of stopping and listening for God's voice in the middle of the stress, Father, I pray for courage today to stop and to pause hold up and to say, wait, wait, give us courage to say, even in this God, I'm going to trust you, Lord, that I want to do your will more than anything else. And God, today in the midst of all of this stuff, I pray that you'd give us courage as a church and church leadership, not to fall into prey of stinking thinking, but help us to pause in the middle of the tensions that, that, that we experiencing about All this virus mess and and face mask and opening doors, and help us to seek your wisdom and your heart and to pay attention, not to be afraid to walk against the flow if that's what you call us to do. How many of us that are placed today and we're positioned just like David? We're ready to strike right now. We've got the knife in our hand, and yet the closer we get, the more tension we're feeling. I'm praying today for confidence to pay attention and not overlook. I'm praying today for for confidence and courage to be willing to trust you with the outcome. And Father, I'm praying tonight that hundreds, if not thousands of people will be gathered around Central Florida, around school campuses for one reason, not for an event, but one reason to pray as churches across Central Florida understand and realize that that our significance and our value is not walking inside the doors on a Sunday to say that we worship you and to check it off of our calendar of events, but to recognize the greatest impact that we can have is when we walk out these doors to be your ambassadors, to be your billboards, and I pray for these school coordinators tonight as they'll be leading these prayer times. Father, I pray for just a filling of the Holy Spirit, God, as they, as, they, uh, as they direct these times of prayer, as we pray for our students and we pray for our families and teachers and school staff and administrators and school boards and superintendents in those places of authority. May they know when we're done that we have approached the throne of, all, of a holy God, Asking you for for direction and wisdom. But Father, also in the midst of this, may they know that there is a group of people that are gathered, that are supporting, that are encouraging, and that are walking alongside of them. Father, help us to be the church that you've called us to be. May the communities that we live in be different because they smell Jesus on us. Thank you for the reading of your word today and Father, may it penetrate our hearts as we leave and as we walk. And the highways and the byways use us, Father. That's what I ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.